This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, OK, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. It was another dramatic Champions Cup weekend and another mixed weekend on the European front for the provinces. Leinster and Ulster secured bonus point wins on Saturday, but it was a different story for Munster and Conte. Both suffered away day disappointments. All that means that there's plenty to discuss on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you. And I'm delighted to be joined by Keen Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald to look back on all the drama from the weekend and plenty of other talking points that have been getting people's attention over the last couple of days. And Keen, we, we might start with Munster because I know you were at Sandy Park um, on Sunday. Plenty of drama, plenty of excitement. Obviously, from a Munster perspective, it was the second kind of dramatic second half collapse in a row. And as we touched on in our preview a few weeks ago, the, the draw on paper looked to be quite an inviting one. And um, maybe for Munster to get a good kind of place in their pool ahead of the knockout stage. Now they're just fighting to stay in the tournament. You know, what, what do you think on Sunday went so badly wrong? They looked, you know, with their bonus point try secured, it looked like a five point victory for, for all money. Flash forward 20 minutes or so and, and they kind of lose by eight. They end up only getting one, one point coming home and, it just couldn't have gone any worse from where they were. What went wrong? I'm smiling, Will, because I'm having flashbacks of my um, panic rewrite that I that I had to do. Um, if only you'd seen the match report that I had written about the the hour mark, um, showering praise on <laughs> like like what was like yeah. an excellent monster performance. I mean, the four tries that they scored uh, were so so good, and another I thought another big step forward. Further attack, I thought Jack Crowley was absolutely outstanding, like really, really, really good. Um, and yeah, I it's become a bit of a theme, Will. I've been writing about it in today's paper and online. I mean, 
Munster have been coughing up leads um, in four of their last six games. Um, you think back to the game in Ulster. Um, last month, they went into an early lead. They they gave that up. Same happened against Leinster. The same happened against Bayonne. The same happened last weekend. And even in the, the win over Glasgow that they had down in Musgrave Park, they conceded four second-half tries. So um, this has been a bit of an on-running team um, for the last while, which is pretty concerning um i think there's i think there was a lack of leadership maybe um at the weekend i think they're badly missing peter o'mahony um as well as his playing ability but also his his leadership it just goes to show i think how important he still is it probably goes to show how i suppose how surprised Munster were that he decided to step down as captain because they still haven't appointed um a permanent captain now I think what will be really frustrating for Graham Rowntree is that when things started going wrong um, on 62 minutes when Exeter scored um, their their try that kind of got them back into the game, like Ty Byrne was on the pitch, Dermot Barron was on the pitch, Jack O'Donoghue, three guys who you'd imagine are going to be front runners to take over for from O'Mahony, more so Barron and Ty Byrne. And also Conor Murray had come off the bench, one of the most experienced players um, in the country, let alone in, in the club. So... Um, um, he obviously had a tough game when he came on. So um, I don't think it was complacency or anything, Will. I think they just kind of lost their heads. Obviously, the bounce of a ball for Calvin Nash's try, that was an error on his part. Um, Munster were really, really annoyed um, with Henry Slade's try. Um, at the end, um, the two retreating players being in an offside position, Matthew Reynal being in the way. But... The reality is Munster should never have found themselves in a position where they were kind of, you know, had gripes about the referee because, like you said, Will, when Shane Daly scored that try, and it was such a brilliant try as well um, from how far it started and, like, Antoine Frisch's break for Dermot Barron to to make the run through the gap. Um, It looked like Munster were going to be coming home with five points and that would have been an ideal response to what was a really disappointing draw at home to a weakened bay on side so all of a sudden they went from getting five points to losing the game and then at the very last play they lost the losing bonus point as well which could be absolutely crucial when it comes down to it so what is it three points from their opening two games is not what opening two games is not what anyone saw coming and I agree with you Will Um, I think Munster would have looked at this pool as being one that they could have won and not just come out of that they that they could have won and we know how important um, it is to get a home draw when it particularly when it comes to the knockout stages in terms of finances everything that that comes with it and now they've left themselves in a massive hole of their own making they've got Toulon away after Christmas and Northampton at home and they need two big results from them if they if they want to get through, let alone um, getting home advantage. Yeah, like having watched the first two weekends, they should be sitting there probably with 10 points out of 10. You know, they, they did enough in both games to get two bonus point wins. And look, it's a, it's a funny one because obviously results-wise, the last two weekends has been another disaster. Like, you know, drawing with the Bayon team who had made over 10 changes and then letting that massive lead slip against an extra team who, you know, a good side, but a rebuilding side with, you know, losing many of the key players they had over the last number of years. And yeah, like as we mentioned, as Key mentioned there, the rugby they were playing at the weekend was just like really, really good at times. And it's kind of light years removed to what we kind of almost suffered through for a number of years prior to that. So I'm still kind of like 
strangely positive about some aspects, but obviously results-wise, it's been a very, very bad couple of weeks. But I still think if I take a step back from that for a second, I, I, I st- but maybe that's not make, kind of treating them with maybe the, the standards we should be looking for because ultimately they didn't get the results. What, what, what are you kind of thinking from some, from some of that? I kind of hold them to a different standard this year just because of the league win last yeah. year. You know, you, you just want to see, make sure you see a little bit of progress. And they were so, they were pretty street smart, I thought, at the end of last year, as well as combining some some lovely attacking play, I thought, at times. They were pretty street smart and they were stingy defensively when they needed to be as well. Um, it seems to be, just across the board in sports, it's so hard to play a kind of expansive game, it seems, in any sport without exposing yourself defensively, you know, it just, so I don't know what it is about sports, you know, um, you know, I've, I've played in a few teams where I felt like maybe we were close to it, but even still, you know, some of the really good teams I played on, you, you can see the try or two at the end, you know, it's just, it seems to be the way when you're playing kind of an, an expansive match or you're really dominating an opponent. I don't know what it is about it, but, um, I thought it was disappointing. I like I, I was so pleased watching them. I just thought they were really brave with the strategy. I thought they used that kick in behind from midfield quite like really, really effectively. But they were also brave with it at times where there was two or three extra defenders in your face and they were still grubbing it behind or, or a little small crossfield kick. So there was some brilliant stuff. Um I, I thought throughout the game. And I I'd, I'd echo Keen's sentiment there, but I just hold them to a different standard this year. And I just can't I just was so disappointed in, in in just how they finished the game. I just really think they put themselves in a bit of a hole needlessly. And um, yeah, I mean, from from looking like we were kind of tipping them a couple of weeks ago to be a real threat in this competition and to, and to make the jump that we kind of have expected from Munster, um, that is now looking like it is in serious danger. Um, what I would say is, though, they're very capable and they can draw on experiences from last year of going away to Toulon and getting the win. And they're clearly not infallible there off the back of what we saw, uh, you know, last week. So they're, they can still do this. And certainly you think Northampton is definitely achievable at home, but it, it's, they've, they've made it incredibly difficult for themselves from what should have been, um, you know, they, they actually had a lot of the hard work done in both games. That's what's the most disappointing part about it. Like you think, okay, like Leinster got off to a shocking start on the weekend. Uh, that does make your, jo- your job far more difficult. But Munster haven't had that. They've got really good starts. So it's kind of like, whether it's complacency or whatever it is, sloppiness, um, it's... Um, it's hurt them. It's hurt them, and it's really made the trip back to where they should be very, very difficult. Keen, you, know, you touched on the captaincy situation. Um, like, it's hard to know how much that plays into it, but it certainly can't be helping the situation. Just having a bit of uncertainty around who's captaining the side, and obviously, Peter Manny's been injured in any case. So, even had he not passed on the baton, he wouldn't have been there either weekend. But like, what's going on there? Like, wh- why hasn't Graham Rowntree picked someone? Because it would seem pretty obvious, as you mentioned, there's a couple of key leaders there who would just be seemingly next in line. I don't know. It's just kind of a strange situation. I, f- I find like that it, it's kind of been drawn out, and now obviously you were writing about it today. Like it, it's now become a bit of a talking point on the back of some kind of rudderlessness in the second half of two key European games. I think Munster were taken aback, I think is what we can take from this by Peter O'Mahony's decision. Because, I mean, Peter O'Mahony came back in his first game, was in against the Stormers after the World Cup, and he was captain. So, like, 
I'm not sure. I'm, I haven't heard if something has happened behind the scenes, but it seems very strange that a guy would step down as captain, not necessarily step down as captain at this stage of his career. You can understand the logic, but to me, it was strange that he came back um, and did it for one game and then all of a sudden decided not to. We haven't had the chance, obviously, like you mentioned there, well, he's injured, so we haven't been able to talk to Peter O'Mahony and see kind of, you know, what was really going on. And I suppose from Graham Rountree's point of view, if it did come as a surprise, then I suppose he wants to take his time and find the right successor. It is obviously a massive job. Um, but just, to, sorry, just to come in on that, you say like take his time to find the right successor. You listed the contenders. It's not as if it's going to be some random left field appointment. Like I just, it should truly be a straightforward thing. I would have thought. Well, I would have thought that Ty Byrne was uh, like a ready-made replacement there personally. But then you had Dermot Barron, who I would have said was a bit left field, to be honest. Um, but obviously, we, we're not privy to what goes on behind the scenes in terms of leadership. And that Ty Byrne has been captain for both of the Champions Cup games. Um, I think, you know, he would have to take his fair share of the responsibility for, you know, for passing up both leads in, in both of those games. Not that it's it's all on him, but... I think there's a bit of a lack of leadership across the board. I agree with what Luke says. You have to hold Munster to higher standards this season. And that's what they certainly do themselves. I don't think any of this is overly critical. This is stuff that they'll be saying in this morning's review and things like that. Even if the URC you know, win last season did come ahead of schedule. But there's guys in that in that team who were there at Sandy Park on Sunday, who went to the well last season, went to South Africa and dug out some big, big victories en route to to winning the URC. So you'd like to see a few more of them step up. I think it is worth mentioning as well, Will, that they are missing some key guys as well as Peter O'Mahony. Um, I mean, Orgy Snyman and Jean Klein, Edwin Adogbo, they're big losses um, figured in figuratively as well as everything else. And I thought Munster lacked a little bit of punch when the going got tough. You look at the the lack of impact they got from the bench um, compared to what Exeter brought on. A guy like Jack Dunn, who, you know, let go by Leinster last year. He came off the bench, obviously scored the try, but had a big, big impact as well, um, which was nice to see from, from an Irish point of view, but not so much from a Munster point of view. Um, and the only players that Graham Rountree looked to bring on um, before the 70th minute mark when the shit was hitting the fan, really, were Ollie Yeager, Connor Murray, Josh Witcherly came on. Other than that, he had two teenagers in Ben O'Connor um, and Brian Gleeson on the bench, a uh, guy like Alex Candelin, another young guy, Rory Scannell didn't get off the bench. So, I mean, Munster are a bit skinny um, in terms of their options at the moment. And I think that came back to haunt them as well, particularly when you look at how Exeter were able to turn the game around. Yeah, and when I mentioned earlier about maybe the take trying to look at the positives and some elements, I think maybe I'm just being seduced by some of the sexy rugby that was on show at Sonny Park because, you know, even if Munster were playing Route 1, boring, table to watch rugby, it would still be awful to blow these leads against teams that they should be beating from the positions they were in. It's just, I suppose, as you mentioned, when you win a league maybe ahead of schedule, the expectations naturally go up, but... You know, at the same I wonder if they caught between two stools, Will, a little bit in that the attack has clearly, it's night and day from what we were seeing under Johan van Graan. And I would say supporters are loving watching Munster at the moment. They're not what, loving the results, but they're a really good team uh, to watch. But they've maybe gone away from some of the fundamentals that we associate with Munster over the years. Their set piece has really struggled. Now, that could be down to some individuals that are missing, but you've got to play the hand you're dealt, you know. 
uh, their mall defense has been really poor. Um, we were talking to Dennis Leamy last season, or sorry, last week, and he said that you know they've tweaked their defensive system a little bit this year. That they're they're giving certain guys, um, you know, more freedom to go after certain breakdowns and stuff. So that's been a big focus for them. So I wonder, you know, is that taking a little bit of time to to bed in as well? But Maybe that could be part of the teething problems that they're going to have to go through because, look, if the attack wasn't firing as well as it is, I think Munster, we could be saying, are in, you know, are in trouble here. But the fact that they are playing so well, you would hope that the other things can kind of knit around the attack because it is it is going so well, you know. And just to talk about that last try from Henry Slade, are we all in agreement that that should have been ruled out for for offside? Like, uh, I d- definitely, 100%. yeah. I just those lazy runners, sure. like. Slade did well at the time his run, but that doesn't mean it doesn't erase the fact that there was like three guys walking back in the passing channel. I just thought it was an obvious disallowed try and a penalty to Munster. You're in the corner then, like it would have been maybe pinching it back off Exeter, but it was still a definite disallowed try, in my opinion. Yeah, there was a bit of st- sloppy stuff, wasn't there? I think from the referee, I think, and um, like throughout the game, I just felt like there was a good few where I said, geez, that looks really obvious. And, and look, across the board, the offside rules. I mean, I just feel like they're letting people. It, it, I, do you know what? I, I'm a, I was about. I'm about to go on a bit of a rant here, but I'm going to stop myself because I do think it's so hard to referee rugby. I, honestly, I was look. I was in the RDS in the weekend. Like it's it's almost impossible to referee the game now. It's just there's so much going on at every single breakdown and everything. But um, I will say one thing I think I think the offside rule it's interesting we're talking about it now because I, I just think they're not refereeing it at all well enough I just think it's so hard to attack well at the moment the way teams are getting off the line it's just one thing I, I think I think the linesmen have to be way more active on it and 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 have input and take pressure off the referee um I, sorry I know I'm going I'm expanding a little bit on on the question that you want me to answer but it's been a pet peeve of mine watching games um that and how long it takes to set up a scrum which I I would love to go on a rant on um but I I think um it was a bad mistake at a critical juncture and you're right it would have actually changed the complexion of things very very much so for for Munster at that point they would have put the pressure on them and you think um, you know, might have been able to to get something if they've been able to galvanize themselves. But um, it was disappointing for them to miss it. I think it's a it's a definitely an issue, and it should have been picked up, and it should have been a try. Yeah, I think it was it was such a, so obviously offside. I thought that you know you're at least guaranteeing Munster to get that second losing bonus point, and as I said, a line out in the twenty two, and and who knows what could happen. Keen to, to change tack slightly. I know you and Roy had a good back and forth about RG Snyman on the podcast. I listened to it this morning before we went on here. They just to gauge the temperature of what you guys were saying, and and Rudd jokingly said, you know, when you're over at Sandy Park to ask a few Munster fans or discuss them with it with them because you kind of were coming at it from two different viewpoints. Like, did you get a sense from people over there? Like, was it a big talking point where people shocked were they angry what, what's the sense now with a few days removed from the initial report well first of all i didn't do what rudd's suggestion was go around my dictaphone on the plane to to bristol and start um fox popping the monster fans no but i did I, I actually knew um a couple of different groups of people who went over as supporters for the match so um i got a chance to to catch up with them um and sure like that was the big talking point of course it was but my, my view hasn't changed on it at all. And they were, I have to say, more on my side of things. Obviously, you know, there's disappointment there that Snyman is going to Leinster. Of course, there would be. But I think, 
you know, they realized that Munster had the chance to to keep him and they didn't. And look, I don't want to go over the old ground that I did on last week's podcast because, yeah, myself and Rudd really did get into it. And we were, I think, pretty much at opposite scales um, in terms of the argument. Um, I suppose, like, in short, the, cru- the, the crux of mine is that Munster weren't able to keep both Jean Klein and Orgy Snyman. Uh, due to the fact that Jean Klein is now a South African player and no longer an Irish international. Um, they opted to keep Klein. Um, Rudd was pretty hot on the fact that Munster wouldn't have been able to keep Snyman even if they wanted to. I'm not sure that would have been the case, to be honest, if Jean Klein had stayed an Irish international. I think I think we can underestimate Munster's ability to to find the resources when they need to. I think we've seen that when Damien Dinalende came in, when Snyman came in, they they have this outside investment, which is still a bit of a mystery. So if Klein hadn't left, I wouldn't have ruled out the the possibility of Snyman uh, staying at Munster, particularly because he didn't want to go anywhere either. Um, so there's obvious, obvious benefits to Snyman staying in Ireland. Someone said to me recently as well that um, I think he he's not too far off becoming an Irish citizen in terms of getting the passport, which could be another reason why he wants to stay in Ireland. Um, I'm sure there's 500,000 other reasons why he might want to stay in Ireland if the, the money that's being talked about um, for Leinster is true. But... Look, at the end of the day, like sport is a professional business. I can understand why Munster fans would be, you know, angry if Snyman goes on and has a brilliant Leinster career and helps them win Champions Cups. But he didn't decide to do his ACL back to back. You know, he would have much rather have played a bigger role at Munster. He did play a role in them winning the URC last season. He's a really popular guy. I don't think there'll be any animosity between the players in the dressing room or anything like that. I'd be shocked if when Snyman is fit, hopefully in March, that he doesn't play a role for Munster again. I think they'd be mad not to use him. And look, it's a big risk for Leinster, but they clearly think it's a risk worth taking. And it's hard to argue with that when you see what he delivered at the World Cup. He's going to be working with a coach who knows how to get the best out of him in Neon Arbor. And I suppose that's the that's the way the cookie crumbles. But I the point I was trying to make last week is it's never a good idea, um, and you'll know this as well, to judge the reaction of um, most people off what you see on social media and in particular Twitter. Like it's such an echo chamber and you have lots of people like shouting loudly and how it's a disgrace and he's a mercenary and all this. But I just don't think that that's the, that that'll be the view of most Munster fans um, in the cold light of day. And certainly the few who I spoke to in Exeter, that was the sense. That's not to say people aren't angry and disappointed about it, but I think they understand that this is the harsh realities of top-level sport. It's funny just as you say that there, because we got a good few messages in about it uh, on Spotify and one from Carl. Keen is miles off the mark on RG Snyman. <laughs> we backed him when he was hurt twice. I understand we can't afford him, but does that mean he has to go straight to our biggest rivals? He should be ashamed. Pure mercenary. So uh, that was one of the messages we got in. But uh, to be fair, I think it's the most natural thing in the world that a Munster fan would be like annoyed that he's going to Leinster after just the nature of how his injury hit kind of tenure there is gone. I, I think that would be... Fairly. But that's fine. It's fine to be annoyed. And I'm not saying that And to, in response to Carl's uh, nice message there. Thank you, Carl. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that Munster fans aren't annoyed. Of course, they're right to be annoyed. But I don't think it's going to be this grudge that they're, they're going to hold. I mean, it just goes back to my point that Munster opted to keep Jean Klein. And that was the right decision for Munster, you know. So um, I can understand Munster's frustration and all that. Absolutely, of course, I can. But I think the page will quickly turn on this. 
Yeah, Luke, what's your thoughts on the whole thing? Yeah, look, I think <laughs> I'd be disappointed if I was from Munster, but uh, I, I'd probably lean more towards Keane's point of view. Um, I think, um, you know, Moving on from that and, and that side of things, I think from Leinster's perspective, it's a good signing. I think I don't think he's as good as everyone says he is. I think so. I, I heard some absolute garbage talking about he's the best lock in the world. He's not. Um, he's a good, good player. Um, I think a little bit looser than maybe. Uh, like I don't think he's in the same category as Etzebeth. Not even close. Um, but he's a good player, and uh, he fits the bill for what I think an international signing should be. If you're going to give up one of your squad players, it should be for a guy who's starting or close to starting in one of the, the best teams in the world, and he should make your team better if he's if if he's picked in it. I haven't always thought that about Leinster's previous or like kind of you know foreign signings in, in the last couple of years. I think there's kind of been some fairly like good players, but not great players, and I think he he's closer to the great player than than a good player in my opinion. So. Um, yeah, I think from a Lancer perspective, it makes sense. Um, I think what may end up the, 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 the fallout, the, the one negative fallout possibly I could see from this is that the likes of a Joe McCarthy, who I think has really come on and uh, might not get game time. Now I think they might, they might've made this decision thinking that maybe Joe is still a little bit to go on the journey and he does have, but I think from what I've seen so far, I'm not sure. I think he might be the perfect fit for Leinster, exactly what Leinster have been missing, you know. So, uh, Snyman might, well, nice to have. He might not be absolutely necessary for what Leinster need to get them over the line. It might be something like a tight head that maybe suits Leinster more, I think, if they're trying to get, uh, trying to, you know, win a couple of European Cups in a row, um, which is, I think, what the what the goal is there. So, um yeah, I think from a Lance perspective, it does make sense, even though I'm a little bit worried about the McCarthy fallout. Um, from Munster's perspective, disappointed. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, once the RFU have made the call and you think about the Klein thing, Klein would fit better with them because he's got a better injury profile and he was brilliant for them last year. He actually was more effective, I thought, than Steinman last year for them. So he, he's been a big player for them. So I can see why they went that direction with Klein. Um even though you know there will be a disappointment that they couldn't hang out to Snyman too, but I think they have a lot of guys. Like I mean, you, we wouldn't want to see a dog boot and um, you know and a Hearn or these guys who may, might be stuck for getting into possibly a back row. You wouldn't want to see them not playing at all because you want to see those guys getting some time in the pocket. Whereas they won't if Snyman's there because it'll be Klein, Snyman, and it'll be Byrne taking those slots. Where Munster actually look like they're actually quite well. Um, I, I think they look like they're well stacked in that area now from a couple of years ago where you said mm, not so sure so um this one might make sense for everyone yeah Keen, but the McCarthy piece is a good point like he's really had a good big impact since he's returned from um the world cup thought even off the bench against sale you know he, he, had, he had a big impact as well obviously he put himself about a lot against la rochelle gave away a couple of penalties and got bin but was, was very physical and and looks like physically he is kind of getting to that stage where he can match up against some of the biggest kind of locks in the world like sometimes when like Leinster do get overseas signings, I, I am kind of wondering like should any of them be sanctioned in some ways? Like obviously they'll say they need them, but then you're I'm also like they have a lot of good young players. Like we literally spent half the shows talking about moving this guy there, moving this guy there. Sometimes I'm like, should any of these be sanctioned by the IRFU? If the IRFU ultimately are allowed to say no, you can't get this, this guy. Like Joe McCarthy, it's better for Joe McCarthy to be playing Champions Cup rugby than Orgy Snyman from an Irish perspective. Obviously Leo Cullen would probably love to have Snyman starting big matches like that, but from the overall kind of view, helicopter view, I could see why the, you know, they wouldn't get any of these players really because they have they do have a lot of depth and young guys coming through. 
I still though think that the big, you know, the big names have a big role to play. And Luke will know this better than anyone, considering he was in a Leinster dressing room with so many top class overseas uh, signings, Rocky Elmson, um, Ethan Atewa. Like these guys contribute massively to to Irish rugby and the culture. So, I mean, I know Snyman has played, what's he played, 10 games in four years since he's been at Leinster, or since he's been at Munster, which is crazy when you put it like that. And just a quick one on Jean Klein. He, of Munster's 26 competitive games last season, Klein started in 24 of them. Um, it's actually ironic that he's injured at the moment because he's just so generally durable. But the younger locks in Munster, the ones that Luke was talking about there, um, Adogbo, Tom O'Hearn, Finian Witcherly, these guys would all speak very highly of the role that Snyman has played even when he's been out injured. Um, it hasn't been a case that, you know, he's been kind of out of sight, out of mind. He actually has been trying to give back um, as much as possible. So um, from Leinster's point of view, I think they would argue that like they've, you know, lost last two Champions Cup finals. They've had two trophyless seasons. They've like they're they've generally had, you know, big overseas players have played a role in them winning previous Heineken Cups. Um, you've Ala Latoa, who's out the door at the end of the season. He confirmed that like uh, last week. He's going to going to Claremont. It'll be interesting to see if Leinster are going to try and directly replace him with another foreign tight head lock. Um, as Luke kind of touched on there, but I wouldn't have too many concerns about a, a Joe McCarthy. I have to say, I think Joe McCarthy is going to be a massive player for Leinster. I think he's going to be a massive player for Ireland, possibly in um, even in the upcoming Six Nations. I think it's guys. Um, on the next rung on the ladder, maybe a guy like Ross Maloney who's going to get forced out here. The younger guys coming through, Brian Deeney, Conor O'Tiernig, they're the guys who might, well, are, are going to find it hard to to get the game time. But then again, you look at, you know, what South Africa do and how they've kind of reinvented the bench. And I know Luke doesn't entirely agree with some of their selections that they did at the World Cup. But I mean, is it mad to think that Leinster might spend 500 grand a season on Orgy Snyman, but they might actually use him off the bench and have Joe McCarthy and, J- and James Ryan as their starting locks. And then he comes off the bench. It's occurred to me, but then like, why like, can you justify spending that much money on someone who, if you're not going to start him, like, I know he was really good in that role at the World Cup, but that doesn't make a huge amount of sense either. No, it, it, it doesn't, but it could be one way they'll go that like guys are going to pick up injuries. It is an attritional position. Um, look, I can see why Leinster would roll the dice on this, to be honest. Um, I think it's taken Munster behind the scenes, uh, by surprise because they thought, uh, Snyman was off to bat to link back up with, uh, Johan van Grand. So you'd imagine Neen Arbor has kind of come in here late in the day and said, well, why don't we try and try and get this guy? And look, because, because he played so well at the World Cup and pretty much showed no ill effects of doing his ACL twice. I mean, he's out at the moment with a chest or a shoulder injury that he picked up in the final. I think probably increased his value even more because he played such a big role, if that makes sense, because he looks like he's he's flying it after those two bad knee injuries. So, um, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't have too many concerns for Joe McCarthy. I still think he'll play a hell of amount of rugby. I mean... There's also the chance that Snyman goes to Leinster and his luckless run continues. I mean, 10 games in four years for Munster is pretty remarkable, really. So um, I wouldn't have too many concerns. It's the guys underneath Will, I think, will be the ones getting forced out. 
I just think it's just set up for Schneiderman to like not get a single injury in two years and play like every single match, and then I can just I can just see then the the social media backlash, which would be like would be very unfair from Munster considering how little he got to play for them. Luke, just Leinster generally, obviously you mentioned you're at the RDS, um, and you're similar to maybe Munster and Bayonne for a while. Like Sale, obviously made a you know maybe changed their entire team, but they were leading. They were up until half time, looked to be in a very good position. Obviously, then Leinster kicked on the the more quality side, ended up you know, shining through in the end. But what did you make of the performance generally? You know, conceding two tries at the end as well, and ended up only being a 10-point margin. But how do you assess how they performed? I thought they were poor for large parts of it, actually. I thought they made a lot of errors. Um, I thought defensively, actually, they got opened up a good few times at the start of the game uh, and got got lucky, actually, I thought. Um, So, um, yeah, they rode their luck. Um, but at the end of the day, like the, at the kind of key junctures, they they did show their class. I thought just before half time, I thought even though the, the bear, like obviously the bear drop before the, the that try while uh, Robbie Henshaw was off the pitch was a kind of pretty frustrating mistake. They did manage the game well during that period when Robbie Robbie Henshaw was off the pitch and pretty much spent the whole of the ten minutes down in sales, you know, five meters from their line. Um, but I would question some of the decision making. You know what I mean? They had like. Played a set play off the when they were five meters out off the line and they had a line out five meters out, um, you know a center off the pitch and they go off the top five meters from from the line. I was just kind of like, they, they just looked like they were a little off the pace. Their thinking wasn't great. They just weren't sharp. Um, I thought they fell off a lot of tackles, and it was really only when they decided to get a grip of the game that they did that and they muscled up physically. And I thought McCarthy was key. He was kind of forefront of my mind. It's probably why the Snyman thing is. It was one of the first things I mentioned when I talk about Snyman because I just think McCarthy has been brilliant. Um, but so was Baird. Baird at six was excellent. I thought he was high energy. He thought some really good carrying. A few mistakes here and there, but I thought overall, like you know, at six, I think he's going to push push O'Mahony this year quite close for that um, for that six slot. When I thought at the World Cup, he looked like he maybe had taken a little, little bit of a backward step. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I my, my worry about Leinster and playing at one speed still stands, Will. I think they looked a little frantic at times. I thought they, they were at their best during that kind of 20 minutes after halftime when they just decided to hang on to the ball, play one-out rugby. They have so many runners like Sheehan, you know, Baird, Doris, these guys. They're bloody hard to stop when, you, when they just keep kind of muscling up and just keep showing up around the corner. It's boring. Um but it's very, very effective, particularly when you look at the bench that Leinster have. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Um, I thought Frawley wasn't wasn't actually great. Uh, I thought he had a few kind of messy kicks here and there as well. So um, look, it might have been a hangover from the week before. I think that might have taken a lot out of them. I think emotionally they would have built up a lot for that one. But it still wasn't really good enough against a sale outfit that were pretty game. But we're also given lots of opportunities to get into the game by by a sloppy Leinster performance for the most part. So um, I think it, it, it'll be, it's kind of the perfect coaching point for the Leinster management, isn't it? It's a kind of a cautionary tale. Okay, we've come back from La Rochelle. We've got the win. But hang on a second there, lads. We're not as far along as we think we are. And we were sloppy in the weekend. So um, I think they're in a really good place. Sounds like a contradictory statement, but... They were sloppy in the weekend, and I think it's it's a really nice way for the coaching staff to tell a good story and say, "Look, we've got a, I've got a long way to go here." There was a lot of people thinking that it was job done after the La Rochelle mm-hmm. win away. I think Nina Barr has already had the big impact. 
I, I thought they looked like there's still things to iron out, um, you know, defensively. It looks like he's trying to get them to be even a little bit more aggressive, but they were sloppy and sh- and gave lots of openings to, to a, a very average sale team out in the pitch. A good sale team, but lots of changes from from their first team, you know. So um, there's there's a, there's a lot of road to be walked before they, they, they get to the promised land, but um, they'd be happy with where they are sitting after two rounds, absolutely. And I think they'll think job done, but more to do. Yeah, like results-wise, you know, they've won eight straight. They lost the opening game of the year to Glasgow and they've won every game they played since then. But, Keane, I don't think anyone, like as Luke was saying there, I don't think anyone who's watched the games, I think I've seen all of them, they've, they've been pretty mediocre for large parts of the season. Lots of areas, as Luke touched on, that they can improve on. And it's great that the coaches can maybe do that when you're in a winning situation versus Munster, who've kind of blown two games in a row and now have to do it from a much more difficult position. But, like, where is your assessment? I asked you... I think you know, it was off air. I'm not predicting any conferences. Do you think they'll win the Champions Cup this year before the tournament? You said you didn't think they 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 would, but now we're halfway through the pool stage. It's like, where do you think they sit? Are, are they still kind of up near the very top echelons, especially with La Rochelle now, much like Munster, you know, having to maybe win their next two games to even get out of the group? Yeah, a bit like Munster, we obviously hold Leinster to to certain high standards that they themselves hold them to. And Luke is right; they just didn't hit the same heights. But I would be cutting them a little bit of slack because they went to a dark place in that La Rochelle game the previous week. It was such a, such an absolute slog, I'd say, both mentally and physically. Um, coming off the back of the World Cup, I think there was always going to be a bit of a, a dip last weekend, but probably more so than a lot of people would have expected purely because Sale sent over such a weakened team. And I did enjoy Alex Anderson firing up um, his players, a couple of them giving out in social media about people having a pop at them for sending such a weakened team. Look, that's fair enough to create their own siege mentality. But from a tournament point of view, it was really disappointing that they did send over such a changed team because look at how well the guys who did come over played and how far they pushed Leinster. What would have happened if they had brought the likes of George Ford to Alagi, these guys? So um, I thought that was disappointing. Can I say as well, Keen? because I, I, I was asked about this a lot. I don't ever remember on the Leinster teams that I played on, even when we weren't really that good, sending over a weakened team in Europe. And ever. It never even entered the mind to, to, to do that. Um, I, I just think it's so disappointing. I honestly think you should be like dock points or something. There's be the, it, it's ridiculous, you know. I think. Well, especially for sales. Sorry, like like when when Gloucester did it last year, like Gloucester are mid table. They were going to get hockeyed either way. Sale are one of the best teams in England. Like they have chock full of international, and, and they have less games this year. Will as well, but with the with the, the yeah, three exactly. teams the three kind of you know, teams. folding so, yeah. I just thought it was bizarre to beat Stade Francais, and they didn't even beat them with a bonus point. So it's not as if they could say, "Oh, we've really got our maximum points in the opening game." So, like they they need points, and as you said, they played well with the team they brought. They left ten guys at home who like I just sometimes you can I can see it, and I don't agree with it, but I can kind of understand a team doing it to a degree. This one I just didn't understand, unless he just thought. We're going to lose either way. I'm just going to wrestle. Now, they play Saracens on Friday night in a big premiership game at home. That's obviously the focus for him. That's what he decided to do. But I just think it's, as you said, very disappointing. Right? Like I thought. And Le- Leinster were vulnerable because they were coming off the back of that La Rochelle game, you know? And like like I just said there, look how well their second string or third string team, whatever it was, how far they pushed Leinster. Like, what would they have done if they had more of their bigger guys on board? And you were kind of hoping after the opening weekend um, of the Champions Cup uh, the week before, because the English teams went so well and it was funny 
just like reading and listening to the English coverage, the, the Champions Cup was back in vogue all of a sudden because the English teams were winning. And you know what? I had no problem with that because I think the Champions Cup is a far better competition when the English teams are all in. Um, you just don't want to be seeing, like you said, Will, one of the best teams in the Premiership sending over such a weekend thing. Like, like I'd love to be like a fly on the wall in that dressing room, like the big leaders, like what did they think that that says about the mentality of the club that they're basically saying, we can't beat Leinster at home. Let's focus on the premiership game. We'll still get out of the pool. And that's what they will argue that they'll still get out of the pool because of the way the format is. But to me, it's just not a strong mentality. It doesn't create that kind of winning mindset. Or even have them on the bench, like to not even have like George Ford on, on the subs bench because at halftime it was a draw. So it's not as if like Leinster came out and just smoked them from the get go like they did against Gloucester last year when Gloucester sent over their second team. Like if they had some of their big guns in reserve, the game I think it was it was only like a try in it until like the, the hour mark almost. So like there was plenty of time for say George Ford to get on the pitch and start decating things. You know they had some clever kicks for the try. It was a really good one. Like, you know, he's a very good tactical kicker. I, it's just, as the game unfolded, I wonder, like, did Alex Anderson regret his decision? Or, like, I just thought, yeah, I just didn't agree with it at all, considering it where... It felt like an are. opportunity missed, Will. I, I agree. And, and, I, and I do think that... Um, the coaching staff clearly did some homework, too. Like, that was a beautiful set play. That was definitely a set move, I thought. Unless it was... Well, sorry. I'm going to say 90% that was a set play, the little grubber behind for the for Dupree to go through. Um, from from the line. I mean, that was a beautiful bit of play. So, like, they had done the preparation. Uh, I thought they defended pretty well for for large parts as well. Managed Leinster. You know, they were up in their face. They made it difficult for Leinster to play. Um, like, they were up for it. And I was kind of thinking, like, oh, that that was just it was poor. You know, it was it was it felt all wrong to me. It felt like like the initial statement I made. I never played in the Leinster team. You know, anywhere in a European competition where we brought over our second string knowingly. Never. I never, I just never did. Um, now I know our mindset it might be slightly different, but still just even from a, even from a personal pride perspective, like you're, you're going up against, like you want to create, even when we were bad teams, even when we weren't really good at Leinster, we sent over our best team to away fixtures because we wanted to get to the top table of Europe. And we knew that we needed to be able to beat those teams. And you have to learn how to do those things away from home. So um, to not really give them, I don't think enough resources to go ahead and get the win when they put themselves in a really good position or, you know, Leinster probably helped them a lot too in terms of, of that and having played so poorly. But regardless, they were in a good position to not have the firepower to go and finish the thing off. Um, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I, I would say the scheduling isn't great to have a Friday fixture after it either. I mean, something should be done about that in terms of, you know, the premiership because that doesn't really play into you know, having your most competitive sides out, you know, the, you know, six days before, um, you know, that's, that's definitely not helpful as, as well. That's, that's another wrinkle in this one too. And ironically, like the, one of the kind of experienced guys they did bring over Johnny Hill gave away a real dumb penalty when he, you know, on top of Andrew Fleer, I think there was only a try in it at that stage. So the one guy you did bring over, maybe you're one of the few guys with a bit more experience, a bit of international, you know, kind of quality, you know, ended up having a key moment that kind of sealed Leinster's kind of win in the end because Leinster got such a big lead. Um, maybe moving on to some of the other games like Ulster beating Racing Keane what a major win and what a vital win that was for Ulster like talk about kind of having negativity around a team like it, it didn't really appear on paper they were primed for a big bonus point win because Racing you know sent over their strongest team or, or close to it we were you know talking about teams who didn't do that this weekend it was great to see Racing do it albeit they ended up getting hosed so maybe in retrospect he would have maybe Lancaster would, would have preferred to send a weekend team but what did you make of that win and how vital it is for Dan McFarland who is coming under a lot of pressure 
I think I called this on Friday's podcast, Will, that it was going to be the most on-brand thing for Ulster to deliver a huge performance in Belfast on Saturday night with a French team coming to town. The problem will be what comes next. And look, it was a brilliant win. They were really, really good. They played exactly how we know Ulster can play. And this is why... Well, certainly I get really frustrated with Ulster because they so often play within themselves. They've been wildly inconsistent within games and then from game to game. But I just thought this was going to be, you know, a classic Ulster, big performance, big result. And it was um, like a couple, like when they're big, like it sounds so obvious and it, it, it really is. But when they're big players play well, everything hums. I thought John Cooney was excellent, but Stuart McCloskey and James Hume, played like the centre partnership that had everyone really excited a couple of years ago and showed that this Ulster team are far more than just the route one direct approach, scoring tries from malls. I loved the the creativity they had around the five meter taps. Um like that was just brilliant to see. Like Leinster are so good at that. And whenever Leinster do it, um I'm certainly always uh, singing their praises. So I don't think I've ever seen, I don't know about you guys, have you ever seen the one that John Cooney did when he kicked it up for Nick Timoney off the tap? I don't think I've ever seen that done before. And while it might have been a bit risky, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was clever. And as you said, like it was it was great to see them finally play the way we know they can. Because like, when you look at their team sheet, like there's a lot of quality there. That's why it can be so frustrating when you see them kind of you know, almost no show in the second half against Bath and there was in older games this season. Like Luke, what's jumped out to you about, you know, how they went about their business. Uh, well, sorry, great, great performance, but uh, I'm going to, it's, we talked about echo chambers uh, earlier on. I feel like it's going to be the same again. Um, yeah, it's just that consistency with them. You know, we just don't know what we're going to get next week. I still think, you know, against the musclier packs, I they look a little light to me. Um, I think they do rely heavily on, on like, and they've had some bad luck injury-wise. I think most of their key guys are pretty injury-prone. You think of Henderson, you know, Addison, you know, you think of Hume has had a few bad injuries too. Um, so they've had a bit of bad luck up there as well. Alongside, you know, Marty Moore's had some bad injuries too. Things like that don't help you. You know, your tighter pops such a key position. Um so yeah, like there's a bit of that going on up there, which doesn't help with the consistency. But there's there's something else going on as well, where you know there is still enough quality on show, uh, enough guys playing consistently who are good professional rugby players to not have these wild swings, you know. So I, I'm I'm really pleased for them. I think they needed a bit of a lift, but I'm also afraid to give them too much credit because I just don't feel like they're going to back it up again. I just th- th- that team is still. They still need some convincing to turn me around and to get me on board again. I've been positive on them before a few times at the start of seasons, and I just got burnt. I keep getting burnt by them whenever I give them praise. So I'm cautious enough about them. And I think, um, you know, there, there's still work to be done before they're out of the woods on this. Um, you know, I, I just would love to see some of those young players really, really kick on. Just, it's annoying me now. It's get, I'm, I'm actually getting annoyed watching them. Do you know when you're kind of going, oh, like, what's going on? Why? Why is this not happening for them? Um, but um, I'm hoping this is a catalyst for them for the rest of the season because we do need it. Like we need a strong Ulster. Like it's not like Ulster have always been a really strong team in Irish rugby, and I think the Irish team plays well generally when the when the Ulster team is playing well because they always contribute a few really key guys to the team. I think, um, and we just haven't seen enough of that from them. So I hope they kick on now. 
just to tie in with that, I, I fully agree. Like, um, I hope that this is a statement performance and it proves to be the turning point of their season. But how many times have we been down this road with Ulster in the past? I think that's what Luke is saying. And I fully agree. Like, as Eddie O'Sullivan would say, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid just yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I take your point. I suppose it's just that, like, even them, as you said, Keno, on brand to get a big win in Ravenhill, but I even thought that was maybe beyond them. They'd been that kind of inconsistent and poor, poor. that I was actually kind of thinking they might lose all their four pool matches. So even getting that one win and a few losing bonus points can get you into the, into the next stage. And they play Connacht on Friday night now in a, in an Interpro and obviously Connacht, another very heavy defeat, Luke against Saracens. And it's just like been a really disappointing couple of weeks. But again, like I do look at it and like, look, they got hammered by Saracens. That's not a good thing, but the expectations, obviously, for me, the Bordeaux game was the really bad one. Like going away to Saracens, versus, like, I'm not really expecting them to get much from that game anyway. <laughs> yeah, but but 55 points is not saying it's a good not good day at the office <laughs> by any means. You're not, you, like, you will never hear me say conceding 55 points is is okay. Um, they, even they if you score, a, they came, even they if you score 56. I don't One think point out of that game uh, is actually on paper a, a good a good return. It, it, you're technically correct, <laughs> and I I agree with you technically, but it's still wrong. You just yeah. know, like I, I'm passionate about this. I just feel like loads of people just do not watch the defensive part of the game at all. They're only concerned about how teams look going forward. And they would have taken a losing do. bonus point, Luke, wouldn't they? Instead of a try scoring bonus point, would have been a more kind of respectable. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. If you're a coach, you've got to think, yeah. okay. My team show a little bit of heart, a bit of grit. Like that's that's always what I'd be looking for, and I can I can build on that. If I have that, I know my team will be competitive. Whereas if I don't have it, I really don't know what I'm getting week to week, and and that's that's kind of what you're seeing from Connacht at the moment. So I, I Fardo, great guy, but there's there's work to be done on the defensive side of the ball. And um, look, he's a young coach, and you do hope he you know that he, he can get buy in and get guys to 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 get a little bit stingy because they just need to be a bit stingier defensively. I love what they do in attack. They've got plenty of, of quality on show there. We know they'll score tries, but we also know at this point that they're going to concede a lot of tries and more than they're scoring, which is just really not good enough. So, um, yeah, technically Will is correct, but. I don't know anything over you know half a century. You're I just can't I can't I can't say the words. Will I can't? Yeah, no, you're, you're <laughs> right. I'm I'm only correct in the merest technical sense that like if you had asked them before <laughs> the game, would you take any bonus point out of this game? They would have said yes because Saracens were coming off a defeat against the Bulls. They had their full team on fire. I told Jay Funapola brothers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like it's, yeah. I don't think it's realistic to expect kind of to go there and win or or to, or to get close to winning. I don't think, but. Keen, like, what, what do you make of where they're at generally? Obviously, they started the season with three home games in a row. I'm still not sure why that was, but three, you know, impressive victories. I think they've only won one game since then. Albeit it was away to the Sharks. It's never easy to win in South Africa. Like, the teams they've lost to, they lost to the Bulls and Loftus Firstfeld. You know, a last second try against Leinster. They lost to Saracens. A star stood a Bordeaux team. Now, I'm not saying this any, I'm, I'm just trying to give a little context. Like, they've been playing good teams as well. It's not as if they've been losing. Traditionally, they might slip up against the Dragons away or Zebra away. At least it's been the, the top tier of Europe or, or European rugby that they've been losing to, albeit they've been, you know, they've been trounced in most of those games. The, the Leinster one is, has potential to be a disheartening one, though, Kean. You know what I mean? And, and actually, by the way, I would also just just wanted to, to circle, but I think the Munster one could be a little disheartening. They've got you've got to pick yourself up quickly after the disappointing ones. Ones you throw away really hurt and hurt the confidence. 
don't know if you have a view on that one. Yeah, no, definitely. I was down in Galway the, twice a week of the the Bordeaux game. I covered the Bordeaux game and I went down um, during the week as well, which is obviously the few days after the, the Leinster defeat. And look, I mean, the, the coaches and the players were talking about how it was good that they had a short turnaround, you know, Friday night game, back on the horse and all that. Whereas I think we saw that there was a massive hangover from that Leinster game. They put a lot into it and to have been beaten in the the manner that they did really, really hurt. But um, look, I take your point, Will, about the calibre of teams that they've played. Um, like they did start with three wins. I think the reason they had the three home games was uh, because remember they started last season away from home because the sports ground was being done up. So I think it was uh, to return the favor possibly. It could be wrong on that, but I think that's uh, what that was about. Um, but I don't think anyone in Connacht was getting ahead of themselves. I know Pete Wilkins was there last year and the handover had started, but you've got John Muldoon coming back in is a new coach. You've got obviously Scott Fardy uh, coming in and we've seen that that's a major work in progress because I was having a look at this. They've conceded 173 points in their last four games. Um, and I know they've played really good teams, but that is just, that's inexcusable at any level. And I think Connacht would say that themselves. And I suppose the thing about it is it doesn't really get any easier for them. They, Like you said, Will, they've got Ulster away on Friday night. Then they're going to have Munster at home. They're away to Leon then in the Champions Cup, which will be a very tricky game, I think, as well. And then they've got Bristol at home, which will be a nice little reunion with plenty of former Connacht guys. You can be sure that they're going to be fired up as well. So they've, they've lost their last four games in a row but the next four that they have are really tough as well and that has the potential I think to to really derail their season but Mack Hansen is going to be back this week that's a big boost uh, Bundyaki was far better last week against Saracens than he was against uh, Bordeaux he was just he was pretty anonymous actually which was unlike him in that Bordeaux game and you can't afford I touched on Ulster's big players and when they play well Connacht need Bun- the likes of Bundy and Mac to be firing on all cinders basically every time they take to the pitch because they are their, their true world class players. So um, Bundy's the kind of guy though who get better with a few games though, Keane, I think, doesn't he? Like yeah, he's gonna be yeah, and he was a big heavy guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he was so good at the World Cup, so you wouldn't have any any fears about that. But it's just that when he is, because he's not going to play a huge amount of games, you'd you'd imagine for Connacht, he'll probably be a bit like uh, Johnny Sexton was at the end of his Leinster career. He'll be playing more for Ireland, perhaps, than he might for Connacht. But every time he takes to the pitch, Connacht just need to get you know as much as they can out of him. So it's a big it's a big few weeks coming up for them, will because like I said, they're coming off the back of four straight defeats after what was a positive start to the season yeah to be fair like it was always like an outrageously daunting fixture list with a trip to South Africa you know Saracens away like Bordeaux at home was the only one that you thought oh, okay at least have a good, good opportunity maybe picking up a victory that ended up being an, an absolute hammering at home so yeah it's a, a very difficult and even on Saturday against Saracens they were 17-8 ahead I think with, with 35 minutes on the clock so again it's not as if Saracens came out of the gate and were, and were kicking arse from the start like, the Saracens were really struggling for a long period and yet they still ended up you know breaking the 50-point barrier, which would be very disappointing. Um, some other news just before we finish up. Obviously, Andy Farrell's new contract was announced, Luke, late last week, going up to the World Cup um, in Australia. No real surprise there. Are you happy it's been done and dusted nice and early, or what are your thoughts on it? Ah, uh, Yeah, no, I am. I think it's very pleasing that he's decided to sign up. I think, you know, this suits both parties. I think if you think about what kind of guy he is, I think Ireland is the perfect job for him. Uh, I've been saying that since since he kind of got in. I just think, you know, even Lancaster as well, they're both kind of good person. Like, 
good personalities to fit like an Irish an Irish mold. Both excellent coaches. Uh, Farrell, you know, has been brilliant. I think he's achieved some great things so far. Obviously, a disappointing end to the World Cup, but there was lots to be very proud about in that performance too. And I think what he's where he's brought the team in terms of. Um, in terms of performance style of play, um, I really think he's brought the, the, the country on and, and I'd love to see, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the impact he has during the cycle. I want to see if he can bring on a few young players too. That's going to be a bit of a, a challenge and a key thing. I think if the team are going to you know, go beyond this quarterfinal stage, um, love to see maybe a grand slam or two again over the over the tenure. Um, and I'd actually love for him to to get that that Lions head coaching gig. I know I, I think because I think that's a really good opportunity for some of the other Irish coaches to to take the hot seat for the year, and we can really develop someone else. I think this might be a really could be a brilliant cycle for us. I know people are worried about uh, you know taking your foot off the pedal to a certain extent in international rugby, but. For the Lions, I think personally it'd be great for him to do it. But from our perspective, we get to see some of our guys who we've been coached, you know, we've been in the system for a while, I think, take the reins and we'll learn a lot about them. So I, I like this, I like the shape of things as, as we start out on the, on the next four year cycle. I think he's the right guy to lead us forward. And I think this will work for him too. I mean, he is, I mean, our, the Irish job is a really great job, I think. It's a small country to travel around. I think the teams are very successful. Uh, the setup, you have a lot of power and a lot of control over, you know, who plays when and where they play, etc. Uh, so I, I'm thinking it's a great fit for him. And Dublin's a great town as well. He seems to enjoy all that. So, um, yeah, I think this one works for everyone. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased in a personal po- uh, from a personal point of view. I think he's the right guy to lead us forward. Yeah, I'm thinking to the Lions tour in 2025. Him as the head coach, Paul O'Connell forwards coach, Ron O'Gara backs coach maybe. Or maybe Paul O'Connell takes the Ireland job for the year. Or that could be Simon Eastery. There's lots of... Movement. I think Paulie for the Irish job would be great. No, I think that, yeah. that one would really work well. Or or even or even Easterby. Easterby's been in the... He's been there a long time. Like, he is Ten a brilliant years, coach. Yeah. Yeah, you know he's a really good and a really good guy too. Um, so uh, he might be he might be a candidate for that role too. And I think it makes sense for Andy Farrell to sign up for another cycle. Like it, uh, you presume, at some stage he might go back and coach the English team. Obviously, he played for England. He is English. It makes sense. He's a great coach. But it makes sense for him to do it when Owen Farrell's career is done. Yeah. I think I don't think he. And obviously, he stepped away at the moment. We all know that. But I don't think he wants to be the guy who has to make that transition or that man- manage that period. I don't think that would be a a comfortable thing for either of them so maybe it makes sense for another four years in Ireland and then potentially then to go back to England the the key from an Irish rugby perspective is actually his other son um, his youngest one that he stays in the country long enough to play for Ireland because I mean everything you're hearing I know he's only a kid but like everything you're hearing about this guy he's probably like 12, 13 and not to get too carried away but he's supposed to be ridiculously good I mean it's hardly a surprise when you've got the the genes that he does so I mean, if you're talking Andy Farrell to potentially leave after the next World Cup, he'd be what late teens. He'd kind of be on Ooh, that kind of periphery. Yeah. You want you want him to be here playing for Ireland. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a funny family Love situation. There we go. There's like is already on the way. Yeah, God, uh, pl- plenty of uh, that'd be an interesting one to watch. Just before you finish up, guys, one other thing from that David Nussis for a briefing that I wanted to ask you about is he mentioned that there's an option for the seventeen to call up one player per team. Keen, I'm not sure if you know what kind of players are in the pipeline here. Like, there's a couple of obvious people who've literally played sevens and will be on the fringes of teams. But I'm thinking more like someone like Hugo Keenan, 
being called up and, and does he potentially then miss? Luke's already not it. Don't even say it. Don't even say that name. <laughs> He's like our best player at the moment. To Why fair, would he play sevens? To be fair, he looked keen and I heard him. He was quoted saying it's not something on his radar. He wants to win a we championship. We asked him in France. Yeah, we, yeah. we asked him um, just at a, a run of the mill press conference um, in France. Now, to be fair, Hugo doesn't tend to say anything out of line. He's a really safe pair of hands. And he was never going to say, oh, I'd love to play for Ireland at the Olympics. But um, in terms of what players, like I wasn't at the David News for briefing, so I was only reading the quotes like you guys as well. He said that it was guys who played sevens. I mean, there's plenty of guys in the provinces who have, like I'm thinking of a guy like Cormac Izachuku in, in Ulster who came through. Or Andrew uh, Smith or someone like that in Connacht. Yeah, like they're the kind of guys who I'd be thinking. I would be stunned if you're talking about Hugo Keenan, Shane Daly, like these kind of guys who are really important players to their provinces and to, to Ireland as well in, in Hugo Keenan's case. Um like clearly it's it's a message that the IRFU are trying to get out there because James Topping, the the men's sevens coach, came out a few weeks before uh, David Nusifora, um and said that he would be very open to having guys from the provinces come into the, the setup. And I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised. I understand it from, you know, you want to have the best players, as many of the best players as possible in there. But that men's seven squad, and actually the same applies uh, to the women's squad. I know they're not looking at getting provincial players. They have their own way of doing things. They kind of come in and out. But that's... Don't open up that can of worms. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, But my point is that the seven squads are actually very settled, particularly the men's. Like, these guys have... Like the amount of work that they put in for very little, it has to be said. And like guys like Billy Dardis, who's been there, you know, for the last however many years, and they don't, they're they're very rarely in the limelight. Um, and then you've other guys, less heralded guys who didn't quite make it in 15s. And we probably had this conversation around, you know, when Anton Dupont announced that he was going to go, how would you feel if you were a French guy? Well, how would you feel if you were an Irish guy traveling the world for the last few years, trying to make it to the Olympics? And all of a sudden you're told that, I don't know, let's say it's an Izuchuku or an Andrew Smith is going to be taking your place at Paris next year. Like, because they seem like such a tight knit group, and maybe I'm over egging this a little bit, but I would say that that has a risk of, kind of upsetting team morale and things like that. So I don't think it's going to be a foregone conclusion that we're going to see someone from the provinces. Clearly, it's an option, but I think they would have to come in and shoot the lights out in a very short period of time to to get ahead of some of the guys who've kind of been there, done that, and in my mind, have earned the shot to become Olympians. Like this has been their goal for the last few years and an unbelievable achievement to have made it to to Tokyo a couple of years ago. It's going to be the first time ever that Ireland are going to have men's and women's teams at the sevens. This is their this is their gig. They deserve the opportunity to go and represent their country. That that would be a different game, Keen, isn't it? Like yeah. I think it's a different it's a very different game. Like it's very hard to make a quick transition back and forth between the two. And I can't think of any player who's really gone and been the best, you know, the best 15s player to the best seventh player. I don't think that Dupont really will do, Luke. Do you think he'll, because he's so I, freakish? I don't know. I, I, I don't think he'll be, I think he's got to be a real runner for it. And he is, like, he's so good in the 15s game, so strong, squat, like, he's he's quick. Uh, his skills are definitely, his skills will definitely hold up, but I, he will, I don't think he'll be as good uh, as, as people think he'll be. You're playing against like, ma- like serious athletes there who are unbelievably fit. You'd expect him to, 
to be those things, but I don't think he's got the running for it. Personal, personal, that's only a personal opinion now. He's strong enough for it. He's got the skills for it, but you've got to have, they all look, they're all nearly the same kind of size. They're kind of between, you know, 5'11 to kind of six foot four. They can all, they're all got that kind of lopey stride really, really quick or else they're, they're super quick. Um, and, I don't think he's got that, um, you know. So I don't know. We we, we watch because you know everyone had the reason I say it is because he's such a specialist size for rugby, um, in that nine position. It's kind of rare enough that you see, unless it's a real speedster, someone that kind of small player because they all have to kind of play seven. They all have to do a bit of rooking. That's just how that game works. You know what I mean? You have to be able to do all the skills. Um, I don't think that transfer will be as easy as they think it is. Well, it'll certainly be something interesting to watch over the next few months if any 15s players do get called up and if they can even make an impact. But for now, I'd like to thank Keen and Luke for joining me. And that's actually our last left-wing podcast of the year. Thank you to everyone who listened throughout the year and the Rugby World Cup. We will be back the first Tuesday of the new year. I believe it's January 2nd with the podcast. Looking back on all the rugby over the festive period. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So, happy Christmas and have a great new year from everyone at the left wing. Goodbye. Goodbye.